John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Don't you? Don't you believe that? You know, I, I, Robin was reminding me this morning of uh, seven years ago when I, when I came here. And uh, some of you may have been here. The first time I preached here, I was so nervous. And, and uh, I'd, I was excited to preach. And I'd gotten up real super early. And, and, uh, and I was sitting right down here on the front row. And, and I was, I guess I'd scratched my leg. And... Um, and, and I get up to preach, and I didn't realize it, but my, I'd, I'd accidentally put my pants into my sock. And uh, some of you may have been there that first time I'm preaching here. And, uh, and so the whole time I'm up here preaching my guts out, uh, and, and I look like I have one knicker like this. In my, and, and, and Robin is on the front row, Rhonda's at the back, and Rhonda's like thinking, do I put up on the back screen, check your pants? And I'm, and, and I'm glad she didn't do that because I'd have looked at my zipper, and, and that would have messed me up. And, and so, <laughs> so I remember like finishing the sermon, and it never came out. The whole sermon I preached that way, and I had no clue. And, and I meet Robin right here, and I'm thinking she's going to go, oh, honey, great job. Oh, that was wonderful. And she says, honey, your pants are in your sock. And I looked down, and I was like, oh, oh, boy. And uh, be honestly, as I think back about that moment, it was, it was great. It's like the, if you've ever bought a guitar, it's like the first nick on your guitar. You're like, okay, well, it's, now it's my guitar, your car, if you first scratch on your car. For me, I was like, it, it honestly helped me relax because you learned real quick that I'm not a perfect pastor and I have some flaws. And, and, but I'm thankful that God has called us to this community and to share the gospel here. And when I think about that song, it's my prayer that the world, that our community, that people that we get to serve and, and, and people we get to know, they know who Jesus is. And this is why I'm excited about the Passion Week, and I hope that that's something you come to. Because the Passion Week is, is a moment for us as we let the community know, let the people around us know who Jesus is and what he's done. 
And, and, it's, and as we've been preparing through the Lent season, and, and, and for us, Easter is a, is a season for us. It's not just a day. And, and, and I pray that you join us in that pursuit. We've been challenging our church to go through this book called Celebration of Discipline by a guy named Richard Foster. And it's something I, I want to push you to and challenge you to consider. Uh, this, this discipline in your life of, of walking with the Lord. And, 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 and I've, I'm grateful for the Easter season. I'm grateful just even for the last few weeks if we, as we've turned our face to the cross. And it's my prayer that, that God uses this to even help us get ready for the Passion Week experience as we walk through the stations of the cross and listen to the Lord as God speaks to us. And and. and and this morning in John 1, it's such an important passage because when, when I think about the world we live in, most people don't understand the significance of Jesus coming into the world. In fact, a lot of people will look at Jesus and go, okay, I can buy that Jesus was a person of history. And, and most people will buy that because historians don't really argue too much that a man Jesus walk the earth. But where the rub comes is, is people that say, well, he was God. And that's where the rub comes. The, the people don't really understand and don't really see who Jesus is. Some see Jesus as, uh, as, as simply a, a good teacher. Some see him, see him as a rebel. Some see him as a myth. And we live in this growing skeptical world of 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 Jesus, and, and they don't see who he is. And it's my prayer that we recognize we're living in a culture that's becoming more and more antagonistic at Christ and at Christians and at, at God's word. And, and when, I, when I think of the pressure that, that we see exerted in the world, that, that to, to those of us who see the Bible as God's word, they're saying, hey, you need to modernize this. You need to modernize your thinking. People don't really see the Bible like you see it anymore. Get up with the times. But the reality is that's not an option for us because we recognize the Scripture as authoritative. We recognize God's, the, the Bible as God's word to us. That is, it is, uh, it is instructing us, and God is using his spirit to guide us and correct us. And see, we live in a world that has this idea about God. They're saying, Lord God, how will you fit into my life? But as followers of Jesus, we recognize that it's not about how God fits into our world. It's how we fit in to God's plan. And that's very important. That's a completely different shift in the consumerism of, of, of church and of, of religion of does this work for you? But it's not how this works for us. It's how, Lord, we submit to your voice. And this is really, really important. And, and as I look at, at, at C, like what C.S. Lewis said, I love his writings. And, and he writes that, that no thinking person can, can really look at Jesus without, without really looking closely. Every thinking person has to, has to confront who Jesus is. 
And it's my prayer that this season, this Easter season, the reason we're doing the Passion Week is that, is that we want to help our community confront who Jesus really is and what he did on the cross. And that's my prayer, that, that, that one of the things I, I realize that, that following Jesus must not be mildly important to us. And it's my prayer today that God speaks to us. And, and, and John, we're in the book of John. If you turn your Bibles there, make sure we're, we're there in John chapter 1. And, and, and John is, a, is, a, is an interesting disciple for me. He's, one, he's my favorite, actually. When I think about John, I, I, I'm inspired by him because, you know, he's the one disciple that never left Jesus. He never ran away. He, he was there the entire time. His loyalty. Now, he was one of the sons of thunder, which that's a cool reputation to have. He's probably pretty, I, I see him as a redhead, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but, uh, but he was thunderous. He was, he was a little, you know, he, was, he and his brother were, were like, we want to be at the right hand of God. Jesus rebuked them because their mom came to Jesus and said, hey, will you let me, uh, let my son sit at your right and left hand? And, and Jesus is like, don't send your mom to talk to me, right? And, uh, and so it's kind of funny. Um, it's like the mom going to the coach. Don't be a mom that goes to the coach and Gripes at your son. You're welcome, coaches. Uh, but, but you know, John was. I love him because he never left, and I think it's significant that that John was loyal to Jesus. And then when you think about the way his life ended, though he ended like all the other disciples, he was he was uh, a martyr, but yet he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. And God gave John the revelation. Now, I think, it, I think that's significant. Because I think that when we, are, when we just walk with the Lord and trust the Lord, God reveals himself to us. And of all the disciples, I think God honored his faithfulness by showing him things that nobody else got to see. Well, that we get to see through the revelation. I, th- I love John. I think it's important. I think he's an interesting man. I, I love what Acts 4.13 says about John. Remember that? Acts 4.13, John is preaching. And this is a great uh, indicator or snapshot into John's life. Peter and John, actually. It says, when they saw Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. So whatever it was about him, maybe it was his grammar, maybe it was his accent, maybe it, I don't know what it was, but, but it's almost like John was, oh, you're a country boy. You're, you're one of those simple-minded guys, but he had power in his life. And he wrote this gospel, and, and look at verse 1. Look what he says. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. Now, point number one is something that's very important for us, and it's foundational for our faith in Christ. Do you know that Jesus literally entered human history as God with skin? Now, think about that. When Jesus entered human history, he, he is the most, that was the most important time in, in the history of humanity. 
That was the focal point of human history. Why? Because that was God entering human history with skin on. And that's amazing. You know, the, in the Greek text, in, in, when John writes this, um, it, it's interesting because it, it, the, it echoes Genesis 1.1. And, and this is the echo of John and as, he, as he is pointing to the fact that in the beginning, before anything began, was the Word. And we understand that Word. John is communicating that is Jesus. It's capitalized in your Bible because John is communicating in the very beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now we see this, that, that Jesus existed before time began. Isn't that an amazing thought? It's difficult for us to wrap our heads around the, uh, that idea that God transcends time. God is above time. God is not limited by time. Everything in our existence, everything in our experience is, is time-oriented. We're linear. And it's difficult for us to grasp the Almighty, to grasp the eternal. And what John is telling us is that, is that Jesus existed before time began. Now, now, there's a lot of ideas in our world uh, that, are, that, that misunderstand this. This is where our Mormon friends and our, our Jehovah's Witness friends go wrong. Because they interpret this passage as Jesus was a God. And this is their idea, Mormon theology at its root. And this is why when Mormons come to your house and they are really nice and, and they, they seem to, uh, um, oh, well, we're the same. Well, we're not the same. Because they see Jesus as the first created. And, and they, Jehovah's Witnesses see that Jesus was the first one that was created. But John reveals this reality that, that Jesus existed before time began. Jesus is eternal. And that's a, that's a, that's a mind-blowing reality, that Jesus existed before time we began. We also see that, that Jesus was the active designer of all creation. And this is who Jesus was. He was the active designer. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything was made, anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in this moment, you see Jesus active in creation, and this mirrors Genesis 1.1. It's a, it's a really, for, for John being an unschooled, ordinary man, man he was pretty articulate in the way that, that he described Jesus. Why? Because he was with him. He walked with him. He talked with him. And, and, and John tells us at the end of his book, if you were to put down all the things that Jesus did in the three years that he walked the earth, there are not enough books in the world that could contain it. Isn't that amazing? And so we get a, I'm so grateful that John God used John, inspired John to write these words to help us understand that Jesus was there. He was the active designer of all creation. And, and another amazing truth, look at verse 14. Jesus enfleshes God for us. 
Now think about this. Jesus enfleshes God. It's that word incarnation. He he becomes flesh for us. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And and John writes, look, I saw Jesus in the flesh, and you and I get to see the glory of God in his grace, in his truth, and he came in the flesh. And what we see in Jesus, and what I want us to see as the Passion Week unfolds, is is that this One who hung on the cross, it is God in flesh for us. It's magnificent and mind-blowing. We're going to come back to that verse here in a minute. But point number two is is this incredible um, reality of the incarnation that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. And then this is a truth that's revealed in Scripture that, that, that honestly, what, what I love about God is He's shown us who He is. He's shown us what He's like. And, and because of that, we recognize that God, Jesus Christ, this one who was hanging on the cross at, in the same person, in the same moment, was fully God and He was fully man. And in this, in this one person, that's what's going on and He will be that way forever. And it's mind-blowing. It's, it's difficult for us to wrap our head around this idea that in Jesus, at the same time, he can be God and man. Completely man, completely God in one person. And this is what the Bible reveals. Now, now the reason this is important, is, is John thinks this is very important for us. And God inspired him to put this on, on to, on to his, on to, in, in, in print for us. And, there, and we, he tells us at the end of his book, flip over to John chapter 20 real quick. And I want you to see verses 30 and 31. Because John tells us in that verse at the end of the, his, his book, the reason he wrote this book. And the reason he wrote this, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the reason John wrote this down, he wanted the world to know that Jesus is God and that you can have life in his name, that by believing in him, by trusting in him, you'll have life. And and this is why I'm so grateful God has called us to this place because there are people that we rub shoulders with that don't know the life giver. They don't see Jesus. And God has miraculously and amazingly planted us right in the middle of this city, this community, to be the light of the world, to, to be like a city that's on a hill. And it's my prayer that we are faithful men and women in every generation at this church, and, and we are faithful to, to, to raise up strong believers that go out into the world as witnesses for the kingdom of God. And it's amazing 
that God is faithful to raise up witnesses. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, it says, There was a man named John. This is John the Baptist he's talking about, who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And what I love about the faithfulness of God, he is always faithful to provide witnesses to people who don't know him. And it's important for us to understand that we are the witnesses at this time in the history of the world called to go live the gospel in front of people. And it's my prayer that we are faithful witnesses for Christ, that we are always faithful to, to take the message of Christ and to, and to walk with the Lord and to, and, and to point the world to Jesus. Now we see, look at, um, we, we see who Jesus was. We see who Jesus is. The, the idea that he was fully man, we, we know this about God. Let me just give you some realities of his humanity. Jesus was born. Luke 2, 7 says this, and she gave birth to her first firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in, laid him in a manger because there were no place for him in the end. Jesus was born. Jesus grew. He grew up. Luke 2, 52, this incredible passage that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You know, when we see the humanity of Christ and we think about God with skin, that God could grow up, that God Jesus could grow tired. Isn't that amazing that Jesus, as he walked the earth, he grew tired. Jacob's well was there, and John 4, 6 says this, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's amazing that God in the flesh allowed himself to experience what we experience. He grew tired. He got thirsty. And that's interesting about the God-man, that Jesus, even though he was fully God, he got thirsty like we get thirsty. Um, John 19, 28 says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. We know that Jesus got thirsty, and this is just a reality of his humanity. He got hungry like us. He wanted to have lunch. He wanted to eat. Um, Matthew 4, 2 talks about the moment that Jesus fasted. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was physically hungry. And the reality of, of God in the flesh relating to us is so important. He became physically weak, Matthew 4, 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus it's amazing that he got physically weak. I don't know if you've ever been physically weak. Jesus knows what that's like. Um, he died on the cross. Jesus physically died. We see in John 19, 28 through 30, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst, a, a jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And see, it's amazing to look at the humanity of Jesus, that he lived like we live. He faced the things we face. And you know what else, what else is interesting about Jesus that after he died, and this is so important for us, 
He had a real human body after his resurrection. Isn't that interesting? He had a real human body. See, most of the time we think, uh, oh, well, death is, 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 is not physical. Like when you die, there's nothing physical. I mean, but here's the reality. Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know that there's a physical reality of heaven? It's not, we're not going to be sitting on a cloud, floating around, playing a harp, wearing a skirt. That's not heaven. Heaven is a physical reality that we look forward to. Luke 24, 39, Jesus had appeared and he said, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So I want you to see this, this physical reality of God in the flesh is big for us because it prepares us for our future. It prepares us for life. This is the life that God gives us. And it's beautiful. Look at verse 9 in John chapter 1. John writes, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What I love about God and love about what Jesus has done and John is helping us see is that God has been a faithful self-communicator at every point in history. Do you realize that God's done that? God has revealed himself. He has communicated to us who he is and what he's like. And he wanted to be so clear who he was and the path to eternal life that Jesus came in the flesh to point the world to salvation. And this is why we can't miss Jesus. It's interesting, verse 12, or verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, look at this, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of God. God gives us the right to become his children. And what's amazing to me, point number three is, it's amazing to me that in spite of world rejection, Jesus willingly died. In spite of the fact that that he came to his own, he came to people and they rejected him. He still died. In spite of him knowing this Gentile, this guy who would be born in 1971, who would grow up and naturally just rebel against him, He willingly went to the cross and died. And I want you to notice verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, 
I took Greek, and I have a Greek little section in my library, and it's collecting dust because it's really hard. And I have notes, and I'm a doodler, and I have notes in my Greek book that says, I don't understand, I don't get this, and, and I just doodled to myself, talking to myself. But I did a little research on this word. I want you to notice that word, and dwelt among us. Do you see that? Do you know what that word is? It's a unique Greek word that John uses. It directly translates this, and the word became flesh incarnate and tabernacled among us. And I thought, okay, tabernacled. Okay, you know where that root is? If you go to Exodus chapter 32 through 34, that, that's an amazing moment in the history of God's people. You remember that moment? It's, it's the moment that, that Moses goes up on the mountain the first time to get the Ten Commandments. He goes up on the mountain and, and God spoke to him. God writes the Ten Commandments with his finger. And, 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 but, it, but he was up there a long time. And he was up there so long that, that the people started getting restless. And they go to Aaron and say, Aaron, man, God's brought us out here to die. You know what we need to do? We need to fashion a golden calf and, and let's worship this calf. And Aaron's like, okay, okay. And so he does it. And, he, and they make a calf, a golden calf, and they're all worshiping this golden calf. And part of me goes, Wow, that's really dumb. God just brought you out of Egypt with a pillar of fire by, or a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Okay, if you got a pillar of fire by night, it's not my steak that I had for dinner that got me out of there. It was God. But yet they worship this calf, and Moses gets the word about that, and, and he goes down, and, he, and he's got the Ten Commandments, and, and God gave him these, and he breaks them. He's mad at the people. He breaks them. And it's a terrible moment. I think 23,000, I think, die in that moment because of their rebellion. And you know what happened? Moses, there was a tabernacle, a tent that they set up outside the tent, outside the camp. And Moses would go into this tent. And I want you to look with me at, I think it's Exodus 30, 34, Verse 7, and uh, it says this. Now Moses used to take the tent. Let me make sure that's right, 33, 34. I'm going to look real quick. Go with me. This is really crazy. 33. Thank you. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. Then he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into his tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses." And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face 
as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. God's people would go, oh my goodness, look, God is meeting with Moses face to face. And then John writes, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Us. Oh my goodness. We can go to God face to face. Do you see that? That's the beauty and the miracle that that you have access to the Lord. You can go to him. You you can see his glory. You can come into his presence. And and, and what's interesting is, is the one thing that makes God's people distinct over all the history of the world is the fact that God's presence is with us. And you know what's crazy? Is that in this moment, God's presence is with us. In this room. Speaking to our hearts. Giving us insight. And on the cross, when we see the cross coming up in the next week, I want you to recognize that this is a moment that we get to see God's glory in grace as he goes to the cross and pays for us, as his his mercy. God didn't have to save us. We've looked at this over the last few weeks. God did not have to save us, but he came for us. He showed us his mercy. He also, on the cross, we get to see the wrath of God on full display. And this is where all of that comes together, that we recognize that our sins had to be dealt with. And Jesus, you took them off of us. And I love what Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says. He says, for in him, all in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And I'll tell you what, as Jesus shed his blood for you and for me, that's what gives us the opportunity of reconciliation. And can I ask you, can you look at your past and point to a moment that God spoke to your heart and you realized that Jesus, you came for me and you were reconciled to God? Can you look back at a moment in your past where you go, you know what, that happened to me. I was made right with God. It's your 1 Peter 2.10 moment. And have you ever had a 1 Peter 2.10 moment? I've said this a couple weeks ago. 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Has that happened to you? If not, do you know that that could be today? That could be this moment. That God is drawing you to this moment of reconciliation. And you may be sitting here going, I think that's me. I think that might be me. 
Can I tell you, that's not coming from my lips. That's coming from the only creator of the universe who sees you, who reveals himself to you. And all through history, he's been a self-communicator. And he's communicating to you that you need him. And he came to the cross for you. Would you believe in him? Because like we've read today, that those, those who believed in him, look at this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You could receive him today. Will you?